Everybody, how you doing? This is Ray Renati, and you've reached Green Room on Air. That was my good friend Carly Ozard singing her special version of Bridge Over Troubled Water, disco style. Carly just had an online concert this morning uh, on Facebook. Well, this morning here on the Pacific Coast, she lives in New York City, and it was in the afternoon, but uh, two hours of her singing what a treat that was. If you if you don't know her, check her out at CarlyOzar.com. Hey, everyone. How you doing? Things have been rough during this uh, time of the COVID-19 coronavirus or whatever you want to call it. Been rough for me, been rough for everybody. You know, actually, it's caused me not to put out any uh, new episodes of the podcast lately. I, I've been kind of just thrown off. Uh I wasn't sure what to say when I came on here last time. Things had just started a couple weeks ago with this coronavirus thing here in the U.S., and I was kind of joking about it, and I think out of nerves mostly, and now I'm not going to joke about it. It's a serious situation. Uh, we're all hunkered down here at the uh, the bunker. Me, my two boys, my wife, my dog, Foxy. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid to go outside now. I was riding my bike and stuff quite a bit still, going to the store. I was actually driving for, for uh, Uber and Lyft a little bit, although there's hardly anything left there. That, that was my main source of income other than when I had an acting job. So I had to give that up. Yeah. In fact, in fact, um, if you're interested... You know, doing a podcast uh, takes a lot of time, and, and I'm not making any money right now. So if you're uh, interested in giving me just a little bit, a tip, if you would call it, I don't have one of those pages set up yet to where you can like give all the time or, you know, make it recurring. You can you can give me a buck or two or five or ten or a thousand at uh, on Venmo. It's just Ray-Renati or PayPal. Just look Ray Renati, R-A-Y-R-E-N-A-T-I, or the Cash App, same thing, Ray Renati, R-E-N-A-T-I. Any any amount would be much appreciated, but I don't want anyone to feel like they're giving more than they're comfortable with that they would even notice, okay? So just, just a little uh, begging there for cash. <laughs> I've never done this. People do it all the time now. Uh, but yeah, thanks a lot. And also, what's even more important is if you could tell your friends about this. Tell your friends about this. If you're if you just started listening to my podcast, uh, this is an entertainment podcast. Mostly I interview prominent and interesting people in the entertainment field uh, here in the San Francisco Bay Area, New York City, all around the world. And... Um, I love doing it. And sometimes I give little short uh, episodes. If I'm in a show, for instance, I'll do a daily episode talking about rehearsal or how the show's going and little backstage tidbits and fun pieces of information that you would only hear in the green room. That's why it's called Green Room on Air. So tell your friends about this podcast. And also, if you could rate me on iTunes, rate the podcast on iTunes, give it a rating, a fair rating. Um, or you can go to my Facebook page. It's uh, Green Room on Air. 
and uh, you can you can give it a rating there as well. Now today we have a very special guest for you. His name is Stuart Brown, and Stuart is the owner, if you will, the uh, the brains behind the website Sounds of Broadway. Sounds of Broadway. And what Sounds of Broadway is, it's a 24-7 radio station that features only off-Broadway, Broadway, and London musical theater songs. He has a database of thousands and thousands of songs that play 24-7. And he also has a podcast that he does once every two weeks. And I spoke with Stuart. He's a walking encyclopedia about musical theater. I've only known one other person, I think, who knows as much about musical theater as Stuart, and that's Greg McKellen, who used to be the artistic director of 42nd Street Moon in San Francisco. So Stuart is a wealth of knowledge, and I think you'll, uh, you'll hear that when, when we talk. We're both uh, musical theater nerds, but uh, he has all the facts down, and he has a memory like a sponge. Now, Stuart has a radio career that spans, boy, I think over three decades. Uh, he used to be years ago on WRSU-FM in New Jersey, and then he spent 25 years as the host of On Broadway. Uh, it was a weekly show in the 1970s on WRTC-FM. He's also a theater critic. He's president of the Connecticut uh, um, critic Circle uh, Group. What would you call that? <laughs> president, president of the Connecticut uh, Critic Circle. Yes, he is president of that. And uh, he writes his theater reviews on Stu on Broadway.blogspot.com. Now, his musical theater radio station can be heard on soundsofbroadway.com, as well as an, on a number of other platforms, 24-7. And the most exciting thing to me is he has an app for both the Android and the iPhone. All you have to do is search Sounds of Broadway in the respective app store. And you can listen to Broadway tunes all day long. And what he specializes in, and what I love, are some of the musicals that have disappeared with scores that have scores that are just spectacular. And there are so many musicals that flopped on Broadway for various reasons and have been forgotten. And he has all that music 24-7 on his radio station, as well as some of the more popular songs from uh, some of the current uh, musical theater offerings Broadway, off-Broadway, and in London. Now, as far as the uh, COVID-19 uh, extravaganza goes, it's so sad. And one of the things that I was particularly um, saddened by recently is the news that John Prine, the great John Prine, the country-slash-folk singer who is um, just an absolute jewel of an American, and of a talent has the COVID-19 virus and he is in critical care now on a respirator, I believe. Both he and his wife uh, got the bug 
but uh, she recovered and he didn't yet. And he's gonna, he's going to. I love John Prine. He was my reason for wanting to learn how to play the guitar at a late age. I started listening to his music again and then uh, Bonnie Raitt's interpretation of Angel from Montgomery and uh, he, he moved me and I listened to him all the time and if you're familiar with him, he's just a great man. You can hear it in his voice, the sensitivity, the artistry, the, um, the down-to-earthness of this human being. So I'm going to sing that song for you uh, now. And then afterwards, we'll get into this great interview that I had with Stuart Brown from Sounds of Broadway. All right, here's me singing Angel from Montgomery by John Prine, and this is basically the Bonnie Raitt version. Here we go. There's flies in the kitchen 
I can't hear them buzzing But I ain't done nothing Since I woke up today How the hell can a person Go to work in the morning Come home in the evening And have nothing to say Make me an angel that flies from Montgomery. Make me a poster of an old rodeo. Just give me one thing that I can hold on to. To believe in this living. It's just a hard way to go To believe in this living Is just a hard way to go Well, that's one of my favorite songs to sing. And maybe you can tell. Yeah, I love that song. All right. So uh, why don't we just get to my little chat that I had with Stuart Brown. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Stuart Brown. How are you? Thanks for uh, being a guest on the show. Well, thank you for having me. What is your uh, website called? So my online Broadway radio station is called Sounds of Broadway. Yes. So it was, uh, I was very surprised when that name was available because the, the web address for it is soundsofbroadway.com. And someone said it, said it sounded very NPR-ish. So I, I like the name. It's a great name. Yeah. You know, and I just downloaded the app. I think it's so cool that you have an app. Um, and it was playing applause, which, uh, was the first musical I ever performed in. So that, oh. <laughs> yeah. Kismet. it's Kismet. Oh, wait. And that's another Broadway show. Yeah. <laughs> Can relate everything to a Broadway show. That's it. That's it. And actually, uh, I, I have some analytics on the website and most people do access the radio station via the, the app, the iPhone or the Android device and Amazon Echo. A lot of people do through the Echo. Well, that makes sense because mostly what you do is play music. So you want to have it. You want to be able to just say play uh, sounds of Broadway. And there it is. Right. I guess I'm not that I'm old school, but I'm I'm still sort of tied to the desktop computer or laptop. So even though now I, I have the, the app on my phone. So when I drive back and forth to work, I can listen to my radio station and I don't have to listen to terrestrial radio or other online Broadway radio stations. I can listen to to what I program, which is which is nice because when I'm programming the station, I know a lot of the songs. But sometimes when I'm driving, it, it's sort of like, wow, what, what song is that? What, what show is that from? I, I guess I better tune in when I go in and announce the songs, because I don't always know the songs that I'm playing. So it intrigues me. Yes. I, I know exactly what you mean, because as I go through my podcast sometimes and I have to do all the editing, 
when I interview people, I try to listen as closely as I can. And then I'm, I'm going through and, and I'm editing it. And I, and I think, oh, my God, I don't even remember that they told me that. <laughs> I wasn't listening at that moment. Uh, you know, I'm hoping you know, to eventually take over the world by having everyone have the app on their phone. So when they drive back and forth, they can just connect via Bluetooth. And in fact, I bought a, well, it wasn't a new car, but I bought uh, a car two years ago. And the person I was asking about the CD player, he said, well, this is, it's like a 2016. He goes, this might be the last year where we have a CD player because everything is going to Bluetooth. So people aren't carrying the physical CDs in their cars anymore. So that's a big bonus for me. So people can have the app on their phone and then they can listen to the station via their Bluetooth. Right. I have a, a 2019 model car and it doesn't have a CD, of course. And it also has Apple Play, which I use instead of Bluetooth. It has Bluetooth as well. Um, but I know some apps aren't compatible with Apple Play or Android Play yet, but uh, it's even better than the Bluetooth connection. Oh, okay. Yeah, just FYI. But okay. I can't listen to it in my car. I'm certainly going to be doing that. And tell so, all your friends. I will. How did all this come about? How did Sounds of Broadway make its debut, so to speak? Well, I, I have been involved in college radio since my freshman year in college in the fall of 1975. And at one point I had two three-hour radio shows. So I had a three-hour Broadway show and I also had a three-hour new wave show. So back then in the 70s, it was new wave. Now it's alternative. Yeah. But uh, I, I lived in my college radio station. And after I graduated, I, I still dabbled there. And then about 25 years or so ago, when I moved into Connecticut, I hooked up with one of the colleges in Hartford and started to do just an hour-long program. So I've been involved in college radio since, let's say, 1977. And the problem with terrestrial radio is you have to leave your house, go to the station, do your show, drive back. And even if it's an hour show, they can take a couple of hours. The elements, you just don't want to do your show one day. So I was always thinking I would love to own my station and talking to some people, they hooked me up with this British company that sets people up with their creating their own radio stations. And it, it is as simple as a laptop or desktop computer and a microphone and obviously the music. So I was experimenting with this and last April got everything together and and went live. So now it's it's great. I have a 24 hour station that I can program from my home. I don't have to spend a lot of time and everything is is done in, in advance. I had no idea that existed. What's the name of that company? It's called radio.co. So it's not a com because I guess British the British version is just .co. So how many songs do you have in your library? Probably 42, 4300 songs. So I will bet I have probably any show that people out there can think of. Um, so there's a lot of music. And, um, and, and one of the things in, in, in my day job, I, I work in higher education. 
So I, I try to combine my love of radio with sort of being an educator. So not only do I play the well-known songs, the current songs, I like to sort of delve into the archives, go back to the 30s, the 40s, or shows that lasted one performance on Broadway, but have just has great music and like to mix it up. So you, the listener, are learning about new recordings, not just the same old stuff. Very interesting. I love this. Have you ever heard the theater company 42nd Street Moon in San Francisco? I think so. Do they do sort of like the encores in New York City where they'll have like staged readings or stage productions? They're not like full-fledged revivals. Well, that's right. They used to have stage readings, but now they do have full-fledged revivals without scripts and equity actors and, and everything. Um, although they don't use a full orchestra, they just use a piano and maybe a woodwind. Okay. And there's nobody, nobody's mic'd. So all the singers have to be good singers. Nice. Um, and I've performed there three times and up until just mm, two years ago, their, their whole uh, reason for being was to do musicals, unknown musicals. It, it was wonderful. I performed in Nymph Errant. Cole uh, Porter? Yeah. No, hardly anybody's ever heard of it, right? Right. I, I don't even think it ever was on Broadway. They've done so many shows like that, that is similar to what you're talking about, things that have closed and they, uh, they had to collect the scripts, spend, spend months finding pieces of the scripts and putting them together and then creating the show as best they could as it originally was done. Uh, there's, a, there's a label, PS Classics, and that's what they do is they will go out there and they find... I mean, in the liner notes, it's it's almost not a murder mystery, but it's this this mystery of how they can go out there and assemble everything. And they just have the best recordings. I don't know the quality, but the shows that no one has ever heard of. And it's just great music. And you listen and you just wonder why did this show flop or how did it just sort of disappear from everyone's knowledge? It's amazing, isn't it? I find it so fascinating. The man who started 42nd Street Moon, his name is Greg McKellen, but he had to move down to um, Los Angeles. So it, it, it's not the same anymore. They're doing more mainstream shows over the last couple of years. But for, gosh, 25 or 30 years, they were doing the unknown shows abroad. Yeah, so that was really cool. Well, that's if I was a, uh, probably not, I don't even have to be a billionaire, but if I was a millionaire, that's what I would do is I would start, I'd hire people that know what they're doing and yeah. I would stage those type of, of musicals. And, and actually one of my, I'll say at my current top five list or 10 list of, of musicals is the show entitled Enter Laughing, which is uh, originally it was called So Long 174th Street, starred Robert Morse, flopped on Broadway the York Theater Company in New York 10 years ago uh, did a revival. They called it Enter Laughing and love the score, the actors. It just all came together. And it was a show that most people had never, ever heard of. And it's just still one of my favorite recordings. And I think it was more because everything came together. The score, every actor was great. Uh, but again, it's something that most people would have no clue about. I remember when that emerged and now it's disappeared again. <laughs> right. Yep. Oh gosh. And you have a, you have a pretty big following now. 
Maybe. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I, I, cause I, again, I have these analytics and I check every day. Don't ask, well, don't ask why, but I, I like to see numbers and especially when they go up. And I think I posted on my Facebook page uh, about three weeks ago, I said, Hey, I've gone over 7,000 monthly listeners around the world. Well, now I'm up to 8,300. So, uh, it, 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 it is exciting. And again, I can see, you know, people from, you know, listening from Australia, New Zealand, uh, Mackay, uh, Spain, Germany, Israel. Uh, so it, it, it's fun. And, and, and the great thing about the station is because it's online and with social media to promote it. So if someone is, I don't know, tweeting in Chile about my show, you know, I might get more listeners in Chile. So, so that's, that's the fun part. It's incredible. The, the world is so small now and people can listen to you from anywhere. Right. And, and, you know, people like Broadway music and, and I think that that's demonstrated on, with, the, with the show. And also when you look you know, around the world, not just the London stage, but Australia and, um, you know, a lot of international productions in Southeast Asia. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to collect all those people and it's been, let's see, less, it's been like eight months that the station has been on the air. So if you call me next year, I might be at, you know, 20,000 people. Yeah. And how did you uh, become so passionate about musical theater? So when I was a high school freshman, my parents, we went to Washington, D.C. during the Christmas break and don't ask why, because I, you know, I was a high school freshman and I had younger brothers. And we went to the National Theater to see the uh, the national tour of Promises, Promises with Tony Roberts. I don't remember anything about it. I just remember I loved it. And of course, you have the great score from Promises, Promises with Hal, Hal David, Burt Bacharach. I mean, every song is just fantastic. So when I got home... I had a friend who said, oh, you want to go to New York? I have these these tickets. They're called twofers. Mm. And for people of a certain age, they will remember that twofers were these colored slips that were in schools and churches and uh, town halls. And just like they said, you, you took this coupon to the box office and you can get two tickets for the price of one. And they were discounts. Because there was no half price ticket booth back in 19, this was 1972. So my friend said, come on, let's go to New York. We went, if, again, if people know the geography of the New York, New Jersey region, I was in central New Jersey, took the bus with my friend to New York, to Times Square in the early 70s. This is the early 70s when 42nd Street was not Disneyized yet. This was the triple X theaters all over the place. I, I kept a $5 bill in my shoe in case I got mugged. And we went to this theater to see this show. My friend had a twofer fall for, and it was a show called Twigs. It was supposed to be a comedy. We walk up to the theater. The box office is dark. There's a piece of paper taped to the window. Twigs has closed for its national tour. Refunds around the corner at this one theater. So I looked at my at my friend and I started to like choke him and throttle him for dragging me into New York. And he's like, no, come on, we'll go see something else. So we're looking up at the marquees 
I wanted to go see this show called Sugar, which was based on Some Like It Hot. And he's saying, no, I want to see this show. And I was like, I don't want to go see this show. So finally, he convinced me. We went to the box office, paid full price for Saturday matinee orchestra seat, which was less than $8. And we saw this show that was called Grease. So this is the original cast of Grease. And it was the funniest, most tuneful, not that I'd seen a lot. I was just absolutely incredible. And because of that, my friend and I would go into New York every couple of months and, and see shows. And some were great and some were, what are we doing here? But that's how I sort of got the bug. And then when I got to college and I became the fine arts editor of the radio station, so I got press seats to Broadway shows. I was a DJ and things have just progressed since then. Love it. Look, what a great story. And the, and the funny thing is, to this day, Grease is still one of my all-time favorite shows. Eight years later, the show was closing and I went to see it again and I absolutely hated it because the movie had come out. It seemed like all the actors were trying to do their John Travolta imitation. It just it was it was almost a parody of itself. And in fact, uh, one of my other things that I do because I, I have no life is I'm a theater critic in Connecticut and New York. So I go to theaters that are staging Greece and I really don't like to go because they have removed a number of songs from the original production to put in the movie songs that are, you know, they were top 10 hits. And while I like the movie songs, I like the original score better. And it just, it was, it's never been the same. So I really don't like seeing any production of Greece anymore because the original was just, it was an original. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to tell you, we're about the same age. When I was in, I think you're a little older than me. When I was in high school and the movie came out, I think I was just graduating or I was going into college. I was in Tahoe for a week with my family and I went and saw Greece at the movie theater. And uh, we were there for a week. I went every night. <laughs> I was so infatuated with Olivia Newton-John. It was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's a great, it's a great movie. And yeah. And it's a great soundtrack. Um, I just, I you know sometimes I, I think I'm too much of a purist. And um, and the original Grease was a lot grittier than what they've done now. And uh, yeah, not that it was risque, but um, it, it didn't take itself as seriously. And so, uh, but the movie was, yeah, the movie was 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 great. It was tuneful. It was it was fun. And you know, it showed it's uh, still, I think, probably one of the most successful movie musicals of all time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, there are some shows that can never be repeated without the original cast. I think Grease is one of them. Uh, 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 what was the big Rent? Um, these shows, they were sort of molded around pe the people in the show. Just oh yeah, yeah. Well, another one of my all-time favorite shows was The Producers with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. And, and you know, I mean, there were replacement casts, whatever, but those two were just so linked and just were just so incredible in the show that I can't think of any other person, no matter how good they are, you know, going into that production. You know, I went and saw the uh, touring version of uh, 
of it. And uh, they had Nathan Lane's uh, understudy playing the lead and another guy. And it just wasn't what it could have been. I was disappointed, you know. And he looked just like Nathan Lane. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he tried yeah. to act like Nathan Lane, but it wasn't Nathan Lane. Yeah. And some shows, I mean, I, I've seen a number of national tours because in Hartford, Connecticut, there's the Bushnell uh, Center for the Performing Arts, which is like any big city, you know, 2,200 seats. So they get the first run of all the national tours. And there have been a number of national tours, which I thought were better than the Broadway production. Uh, just it, for some reason, I thought the elements didn't work, but when they brought it around, in fact, speaking of Mel Brooks, I saw the original Young Frankenstein, which had an incredible cast and, and it was very good, but I preferred the national tour to to the Broadway production. Ah, it's interesting you say that because uh, I had the same feeling with Shrek. <laughs> it got panned on Broadway. Um, I, I read a bunch about about it before I went. I read all the criticisms. And then when I went and saw it in San Francisco, they had fixed everything that had been criticized in New York. And it was actually a good show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, I, I love, I love the score for, for Shrek. Um, I, I thought it was a much better show than the critics gave it credit for us, especially when you had Brian Darcy James and Sutton Foster in the show. But uh, I, I always say, don't ask me for any prediction on the success of a show because if I say I really liked it, it'll close in a week. Right. And if I, if I say I can't believe this show is still open, ten years later it's still playing. So I I'm out of I I tell people I'm out of the prediction business. <laughs> you know I had the same exact experience with Young Frankenstein that you did. Same thing. Loved it when I saw the tour. Absolutely loved it. Um, I think I have I have a friend who was in the 1990 production of Grease that you didn't like. Okay. Her name's Heather Stokes. She's wonderful. I, she was in it for eight or nine years. Wow. And then after that, she was so burnt out, she just quit acting for like <laughs> years. <laughs> and she started again about five years ago. Oh, good for her. Yeah, it just completely wiped her out. I mean, two sh eight shows a week for eight or nine years. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's, that, it's a tough life. I mean, you, you have to give credit, you know, especially in, well, any show, but in a musical. And, you know, in some of the production numbers of, let's say, of, you know, in Greece, I mean, you're, you're working really hard out there. Oh, yeah. Singing, you're dancing. It's well, she had to take six weeks off in the middle once because she broke her ankle uh, because the dancing. It was a lot of it's, it's very strenuous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I had a friend, uh, Olivia Janice. She she took over Adrian Barbeau's spot in the original production when Adrian left. Uh, so, I mean, I, 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 I have a little bit of connection to the show and I, I loved the movie. And so I'm really glad that it was part of your life. Oh, yeah. No, it's still I uh, the, the the one one of the songs they cut out from every and I will say every regional production is the opening number from the, the stage version, which is the alma mater. And I, I just think it's 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 a riot. And so. Um, and I think what else? I don't know, alone at the drive-in movie, maybe sometimes. But I, I like to play the songs that 
you will not see in regional productions just to remind people or just to, again, educate them that, you know, here's what happens sometimes with, uh, with shows. And there, there's actually, you know, you look through Broadway history, because uh, I just played this song the other day, but uh, if most people have probably seen Anything Goes, and one of the great songs in Anything Goes is It's the Lovely. Well, It's the Lovely was not in the original production of Anything Goes. I don't know when, but producers, I think it was, it was another Cole Porter musical that starred Ethel Merman. I think it was Stars in Your Eyes. That's where It's the Lovely was from, but they now put it in Anything Goes. And most people think, oh, this is a great song and like all the songs in, in Anything Goes. So it's interesting what people will do adding and also editing songs from different productions. In fact, the very controversial My, uh, West Side Story, which opens Thursday on Broadway, I, my understanding is they took out I Feel Pretty because Stephen Sondheim has said, I never liked that song. And the director said, OK, we're taking it out. You take I Feel Pretty from West Side Story out. And I don't know. I kind of like that song. Did Sondheim approve that? Because I know he's very he really uh, is hands on with that kind of thing. I, I'm going to assume so, because I, I'm going to assume so. And maybe. You know, you look at West Side Story opened, I think, in 1957. So you're talking, you know, it's over 60 years old. And maybe this he sees this as a way to breathe new life. Um, I'm very curious when I go see it because uh, people's opinions I value have not been that enthusiastic. So we'll see. But again, you know, it's it's the director's vision. And here's what I'm going to keep. Here's what I want to take out. And if the powers that be behind it approve it, you know, he's going to do it. Yeah. Well, I know he's done things like that before. He just doesn't like people to take things out without getting his permission. Right. Uh, But he's given it many times. Uh, What did I hear him say? Oh, he's not all that, you know, um, Sweeney Todd, he's not all that sold in the the Judges song. Uh, And I I love that song. I mean, I think it makes the judge a more uh, understandable character. But... um, Anyway, who knows? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, you know, when you, if, if you have such a, a long and storied career and you can, in a sense, revisit things and say, oh, gee, I, don't know, I wish I did that or I didn't like this or this, you know, I, it, I don't know. I, I think if I was that talented and had that uh, a number of shows behind me, I'd sort of maybe like leave it, leave it be and let people sort of not do what they want, but I wouldn't be sort of continuously tinkering or, or, you know, adding this or deleting, deleting that. Yeah. Like they do with cabaret. Yeah. Yeah. Always being tinkered with. Yeah. And it, well, you know, and again, cabaret, a lot of the productions of cabaret have removed a number of the songs from the original Broadway production because they want to put in some songs from the movie or they just want to edit out. And again, I being maybe a purist, but, you know, some of my favorite songs you no longer see in a production of Cabaret. Right. I mean, Cliff has uh, one or two songs that were written for him, and I don't think I've ever seen a show where, where, where he sings them. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that was in the original or in the second version of it on Broadway. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. The, the, um, there's one song that in the original Jack Guilford sings uh, entitled Miskite. And just, it's just a lovely song, kind of sets 
a certain mood for that scene and you know they they've just removed that again from uh most shows so well i was in production of it and we did that song and i oh, love good. it yeah yeah i love it and uh anything goes. I just want to say, I think Sutton Foster is just fantastic. I, I think she's just a wonderful person and a great performer. I just had to say that. <laughs> oh, no, she is. I've seen, well, actually I saw her last year, the year before she did a, a stint off Broadway in sweet. She did sweet charity for a very limited run at this incredibly small theater. Um, so yeah, I've seen her, I've seen her probably most of the things she's done. Drowsy Chaperone, Shrek, uh, Anything Goes. Uh, she is. She's just, she's a, you know, dynamic performer. I mean, singer, dancer. I mean, she's an incredible dancer. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I, I always cringe when theater people go make a TV pilot. Because I'm always going... Oh, I hope your pilot fails, so you'll have to go back to the theater. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, they need to make some money somehow. I know, I know, I know. So, uh, but and she's coming back. Uh, boy, they've been—I don't know out where you are, but in the New York papers, they have been full-page ads for next next fall, and they've been doing this now for months already. But the big, big show is going to be a revival of The Music Man with Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster. Yeah. Yeah. We've been getting we've been getting uh, press on that here, too. Not as much as you have probably out there, but yeah. I've seen it. I definitely have seen it. Yeah. So I what you, what you need what, what you need to do is when we're done, you have to email or tweet or Instagram, whatever. Sutton Foster and say, oh, my God, there's this incredible online Broadway radio station, Sounds of Broadway. You are going to love it. I will. And I'll tell okay. you what, I have three other good friends who perform on Broadway, and I'm going to tell them about it. Great. James Monroe Eigelhart is a good friend of mine. Oh. And yeah. So, so I saw him in Aladdin when mm -hmm. it first opened. Yeah. And the Friends Like Me number. So if you haven't seen Aladdin, it's this seven and a half minute number. And he was the original genie. Right. When I saw it, I think I, it opened in the fall. And not that he was heavy, but he was he's a big guy. He's heavy. He's a big I, guy. Yeah. I thought I sat there. It was one of the, the, the best production numbers I've ever seen. However, I was praying he didn't keel over from a heart attack. Um, because he was just going a mile a minute, yep. but it was one of the most entertaining and I'm sure with all the replacements, I mean, it's just an absolutely incredible number. He is amazing. So I've been in three shows with him. Um, what happens, he's incredibly athletic, but he doesn't look like he is. So you see him on stage and, uh, you think, Oh, just a big guy. He's probably just going to wander about and sing a song. And then all of a sudden he breaks into the most energetic dancing you've ever seen. Does the splits in the air, does the splits on the ground, flips, everything. Um, it's just incredible. You know, you know why he's so good at that? He wanted to be a wrestler when he was a kid, <laughs> you know, well, they, I'm wrestling stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he trained himself and all that. Well, they had a, uh, a dancing. They, they had a, a segment on 60 minutes while he was still in Aladdin. And I don't, I can't remember exactly, but I almost had like a physician or someone 
they were measuring his heart rate as he was going like in between the friend like me number. And they said that he was just built like an athlete, whatever, you know, his heart rate or his uh, breathing that he, it was like, he is a professional athlete. That's how well-trained that he is. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's, uh, he's got good genes. I'll tell you that. Well, tell him I enjoyed him in, 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 uh, in Aladdin. Okay. And he's in (laughs) Then right now. Oh, he's 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 back in it. Uh, yeah. Oh, good. As far as I know, yeah. He won the Tony in Atlanta in yes. Aladdin, yes. and uh, in in Memphis. I loved him. I went and saw Memphis. He was in it down in San Diego, so I went and saw it down there. And they actually wrote his part to bring the house down when the second act came up because he was just like the janitor wandering around in the back, you know, not saying much. Did you see Memphis? I did. Yeah, I did. And when I- it opened, and then the second act opens and all of a sudden there's this number and he's doing that dancing that he can do. And just people just go out of their minds because yeah. it's like, how on earth is this? Ha- it look, doesn't look real. But uh, anyway. No, I, 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 I thoroughly enjoyed Memphis. and I, I play a lot of songs uh, from that. I just think it's, it's a, it's a good score. And I, I liked, I liked the book. I thought it, uh, it was a, a, a good a good story, an important story. And uh, so, I mean, a lot of people, I don't want to say poo-poo it, but uh, I, I thought it was a, a, a real solid musical. I thought, so. I thought so too. It'll probably be one of those musicals that disappear. And uh, in uh, 20 years, you'll be playing those songs all the time. Yeah. Forgotten musical Memphis. <laughs> right. Or you'll, you know, you'll have this regional theater or community theater, put it together and people will question, what's that? And Oh, you know, it just if you look it up, it won, you know, numerous Tony Awards, ran for years. You know, it was it was a good show. But, you know, again, if you look in Broadway history, there are a lot of shows like that that have have disappeared. Yes. Yes. And, and, and uh, that's, they have they they disappear and, and they're good shows. Uh, what did I what did I just see? And I think it'd be, um, I think it had a bad name. It was called uh, Bandstand. Did oh, yeah, Bandstand. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. And I'm thinking this show's going to disappear because they named it wrong. Because everybody who remembers American Bandstand, right. uh, the TV show, I almost didn't go because of the name. I'm like, oh, I don't, I mean, it's only American Bandstand. I don't want to go watch American Bandstand. <laughs> you remember that old show? Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, but I thought, it, I mean, the actors had to, they had to act, sing, dance, and play musical instruments. Um, yeah, I, I hate I hate actors that that can do all that. It's like, come on, why don't you share the wealth with other people? Much know, why, yeah, why do you have to be able to you know be so musically inclined? Uh, well, I was telling a friend today, um, the actress Katrina Lenk, who yeah. was in the band's visit, won the Tony Award. Before that, she was in the play Indecent by Paula Bogle. I love it. Love I it. saw that. It had its world premiere at Yale University, uh-huh. saw it there, saw it on Broadway, and she was just absolutely incredible. And oh, by the way, she plays the viola. And not that I'm a concert critic, but she was really good. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, good. Here's this woman. She's a great actress. She, you know, she sings and she can play the hell out of a viola. <laughs> it's amazing. I know. It's just incredible. Did you enjoy Indecent? I loved it. I I loved it a lot. I mean, I saw it, at, like I said, at Yale Rep. 
I thought they had to fine tune a little bit and they listened to me. So when it opened on Broadway, I just, I was very saddened that it closed so quickly because it, 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 there was no names. It's a difficult subject, but you know, you had people weeping in, in their seats towards the end. And it was just, it was so well done. The director, was that Rachel Chakim? I think, I'm not sure. I just thought it was just so inventive how she put it all together. So I don't know if, if they, if they can restage that or, you know, some regional theater, whatever, but if it, if they do and you read about it, I would say, you know, to your listeners, you definitely want to go see that. Second that. I second that. It was a very unique theater experience. Um, a play with music. Uh, and the music added so much to the feeling of the play. I loved it. And well, as actually, as a matter of fact, I, one of the other things I do is a, I do a weekly podcast because I, I used to do a podcast. And when I started the radio station, I stopped because I, I thought, why should I do a podcast? You could just listen to my radio station. And then I was getting emails from people. Stu, where's your podcast? So I, I started up months ago. Last week's podcast was spotlighting four cast recordings from Yellow Sound label. Uh, this off-Broadway musical, The Other Josh Cohen, tons of fun, really good cast recording. This show, Bella, an American Tall Tale, and this other off-Broadway musical, Renaissance, and Indecent. So you could actually go to Sounds of Broadway, and you can click on the podcast tab, and I list all my podcasts, but the podcast that was uploaded on Friday the 14th will have selections from Indecent um, as, as part of that podcast, and which I now include as part of my uh, as part of the playlist that I put together. Well, I'm certainly going to listen to it. You know, Paula Vogel is a wonderful person. Um, I directed uh, the Baltimore Waltz in a regional production here, and I had some questions, and I found her email, and she emailed me back, and we had a discussion via email about some things, and she was just fantastic. A lot of times people don't answer you, you know? Oh, yeah. And yeah. she's not like that at all. No, that- I think there are a lot of people that are very open and, you know, especially if you're talking to someone who's the playwright and um, you know, I would imagine that they would like their work presented and presented in a certain way. So someone like yourself, if, you know, I would hope they would answer your questions because you know, you're kind of in charge of this. <laughs> this yeah. it's, in, it's in my hands. Your baby. Right. Yeah. What is, I'm curious, do you have a favorite musical? Uh, see, I thought you would ask that. So I, I don't have a favorite. I, I have, let's say five, um, we'll say five to 10 favorites that potentially could rotate. So like in no particular order, uh, well, I mentioned Greece, I mentioned enter laughing, um, the 1987 Lincoln Center revival of Anything Goes that starred Patti LuPone, mm. The Producers. And, and again, some of these shows like The Producers, Enter Laughing, I love the score and all that, but it was also all the elements came together. So I would not say The Producers 
as a show with anyone. It was the producers with Matthew Broderick yeah. and Nathan Lane. Right now, Come From Away is just one of my favorites. Oh, uh, my gosh, mine too. What I, an amazing show. Yeah, I, I, I had a hard time. I still have a little bit of a hard time playing songs from it because I, I, I start to tear up. And, you know, I, I haven't seen it. I mean, I saw it when it first opened on Broadway and it just knocked me and, and the rest of the audience for a loop. And I would love to go see it again, but I'm, I'm afraid to because I think from the first notes of, of the score, I, I think I would just be like a, a puddle the entire show and people next to me would probably, you know, looking at me like, do you have a problem or do you need, you need an extra hanky there, guy? <laughs> so, uh, so come from away promises, promises only because I just remember it being great and a great score. Uh, promises, promises is a great show. I think yeah. Bacharach just nailed it on that one. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's sad that that was, that was the only show that Burt Backrack and Hal David wrote. And just think of just all the other great scores they could have written. Um, so that those are probably the ones that come to mind. Are you a Sondheim person? I'm not. You know what they what they, <laughs> so I hope Sondheim isn't listening to this. Um, but you know what they used to say <laughs> about Woody Allen? Like I liked Woody Allen when he was funny. I I like I like early Sondheim. I, I love a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Um, I like company, you know, some of the shows that he wrote just the lyrics for, you know, West Side Story, Gypsy. But, you know, the later Sondheim, eh, I'm not that big of a fan, even though I think Sweeney Todd, I mean, I, I, I love Forum just because it's so bawdy and stuff, but the score for Sweeney Todd is incredible, but yeah, I'm, you know, I, I'm more, you know, going back, let's say like Cole Porter, Irving Berlin, Harold Rome, um, you know, some Rogers and Hammerstein songs. I mean, some of their ballads, I just think are just absolutely incredible. Um, the golden age musicals. Is yeah. That- you know, the forties, the fifties, I, I know the books weren't much, but, you know, there, there was no, I mean, a lot of pop music came from the Broadway stage. And, you know, so you, you have all these incredible composers. Well, they're not writing rock, whatever, because there really was no rock at that point. So they just, you know, these great outpourings. I mean, you look at Rogers and Hart, it's like every year, every year they had a new musical. And most of the time, great scores, or at least a couple of gems in those. And, you know, nowadays it takes so long to get a musical up that, you know, if I think like David Yazbek, so the band's visit was his fourth because he had Dirty Rotten, Scound- Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Full Monty, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, Band's Visit. I don't know if I'm missing. You know, so he's done four, maybe I'm missing one, five shows. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, for nowadays, that's a lot. It is. So, but that's again, and again, you know, there's a lot of songs or, or scores. I, I just, and I don't know why, I love the score for It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. And I've never heard of that. Oh, you never heard of that? Oh, yeah. Big nope. flop. Big oh. flop. It was the, uh, uh, was it Charles Strauss and Lee Adams? Um, but I just, I just love 
I just love the score. There's another musical called Oh Brother that opened, I think, in 1981, ran for three performances. Really funny score. Do you like Pal Joey? I do like Pal Joey. Uh, It's not my favorite Rodgers and Hart, but I mean, there's so many great songs in that. You know, I I guess my favorite Rodgers and Hart is uh, Babes in Arms, just because every song is just a great song. But uh, yeah, I mean, you look at the career of like a Richard Rodgers, if he just did with the music with Lorenz Hart, he would be one of the greatest composers of all time. But then he goes to Rodgers and Hammerstein and you know, all those. Afterwards, when, when Oscar Hammerstein passed away, he did a number of shows. The only real successful one was No Strings, which is the answer to a trivia question. What is the only show that Richard Rodgers wrote both music and lyrics to? No Strings. But the shows after that, I, I think he was kind of past his prime after that. So this is what I like to do on the station is, you know, little pieces of trivia or things that it's not going to be the people like us that know a lot about Broadway history. It's going to be also the casual person who is just maybe getting up to speed. So to sort of educate them or give them sort of fun facts. So when they go to cocktail parties, they can, you know, they can say, hey, did you know that Richard Rogers wrote the complete score for No Strings? Oh, I didn't know that. Hey, that's great. It's a good final Jeopardy answer. Yes. Excellent. Well, here's a good Jeopardy. So everyone talks about the EGOT, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Yeah. Two individuals have won the PGOT, which is the Pulitzer Prize, in addition to the others. Ah. Name one or both. Oh, let me. Okay. Uh, um, Oh, gosh. Uh, Time. Okay. Well, one was not a a giveaway, but Richard Rogers and uh, Marvin Hamlish. Oh, Marvin Hamlish. Okay. Because of a chorus line, you know, he won. But um, so those are the only two that have won the PGOT. Okay. Son of a gun. Well, send that into Jeopardy. I know, I know. Well, well, you know, it's it's funny you say that, um, and, and, and your listeners will be the first. Um, but I am hoping to unveil within the next couple of weeks, and and I think I can do this because if you go online and you type in like Jeopardy's games, they have all these templates that you can download. So I am going to. My goal is to create a. Uh, a Broadway Jeopardy version for my website. Oh, so, fun. Um, so you, yeah. I don't think you could play against each other, but, you know, you could go in and, you know, there'll be all, all these different categories and you could sort of see how well you do. And uh, so I haven't totally figured it out as far as points and, you know, posting people's points, but my, my goal is to have that and have it where, There'll be questions the average theater goer hopefully can answer. So again, it's it's not going to be just for the hardcore theater buffs. It's going to be for Mr. and Mrs. Broadway that just want to sort of test their knowledge. So stay tuned. Let's say by the end of March, if you go to soundsofbroadway.com or if you want to email me at Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T, at soundsofbroadway.com and say, hey, put me on a mailing list then I can let you know. Yeah, you know, I think it's a lot of fun because you probably, you know, have thoughts about, oh, 
that'd be a great trivia question. And, and I can remember nothing. I mean, don't ask me to remind you of this or this anniversary, but you want Broadway trivia? I can remember Broadway trivia. When I, when I pass away, they will take out my brain and they'll take out that lobe of Broadway trivia to download for something um, because there's just, there's, there's a lot there. You remind me so much of my friend, Greg McKellen, who was running 42nd Street Moon for all those years. He's just like you. He knows everything about <laughs> you know, every piece of trivia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's I mean, uh, it, it's fun. But but, you know, I'm, I'm again, now with all the technology and the resources out there, I'm hoping to channel that because I think it'd be a lot of fun and, you know, just also draw people in to. Uh, to the website and hopefully, you know, the radio station so they could play Jeopardy. Then they can say, oh, yeah. Oh, look at this. I could press this button. I could listen to, me, listen to music while I'm playing my little Jeopardy thing. Great idea. Hey, uh, how do you get the rights to play all the music? Don't tell people. Oh, sorry. So I, no, I, I, um, I'm, I'm doing it legit. So I have, I guess, contracted or I, I have a license with, uh, BMI, ASCAP, ASCAP, and Sound Soundcheck. Is it Soundcheck? I think that's okay. What so you do what the radio stations do. Yes, you can go. So you you know you can go and and uh, or you're supposed to go and and I do and depending upon what you are doing, there are different prices and and structures. So I do pay royalties mm-hmm. for I guess you know the music I play. So. Great. Well, I'm glad right. you said that because now I didn't want anybody out there thinking they were breaking the law by listening. Right. No, no, no. I, I you know, if, if, if I'm going to be a radio station, I want to be above board. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, I file monthly reports or quarterly reports. So they have to email me and say, Stu, uh, we haven't received this because you know, I've never run a radio station. So I, I'm not used to, to doing it as much, but yeah, everything is uh, above board with with reporting. Uh, I work with a lot of the record labels for having uh, for them to send me their product. So with the labels now, like PS Classics and Ghostlight Records and Yellow Sound, uh, Broadway Records. And, you know, it used to be Columbia and Capital and. You know, they do some extent, but not as much as, as they used to. They're not really into the Broadway cast recordings. It's more sort of niche labels. Yeah, the world of music has changed so much, recorded music, over the last 20 years because of the Internet, I guess. Most yeah, and, you know, it's where, like I said, back in, I mean, if you looked at the top, the pop charts from 30s, 40s, 50s, to some extent in the 60s, you know, the, the music of the, the charts were from the Broadway stage. I mean, you look at something like The Music Man, you know, it was like the number one album for, I don't know, months and months and months. Uh, you know, now uh, I think you know, Hamilton made a real um, splash, but, you know, most albums, I don't know if they ever cracked the top 100. So it's just, that's just not the way it is anymore, which is, which is too bad because there's a lot of good music. Oh, there sure is. As we know. Yes. I have one more question for you. Where do you see musical theater headed over the next 10 to 20 years in terms of style, um, method? I mean, I think, you know, if you, if you look at musicals throughout the years, I, I, I think, you know, there's some blips. So, 
you know, when you had something like hair, when you had a chorus line, uh, when you had rent and, and, you know, now Hamilton, but a lot of the shows are still sort of, you know, it's going to be a linear book. You know, you have a beginning, middle end. I, I think you're going to have innovations. I think, I, I don't want to say more contemporary music, but you look at a number of people writing for the theater, you know, like Sarah Bareilles with Waitress, you know, Dear Evan Hansen is more contemporary score. So I, I think it's, I don't see it evolving that much that it's going to go so totally off on a tangent. Like, let's say, wow, look at Hamilton. Okay. Most musicals are going to be, rap musicals are going to be like this. I think, you know, you're going to have different types, but it's still going to come down to sort of that baseline of, let's say, more of like a traditional musical theater. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have a lot more jukebox musicals. Mm. Now, I am not a big jukebox musical fan. However, uh, if if you have a chance to come to New York and to see Adrian Warren in the Tina Turner musical, you know, or go to YouTube, she did a performance on Colbert for uh, River Deep Mountain High. I mean, she's just absolutely incredible. So that's really good. But I mean, this season you still have, let's see, the Princess Diana musical, which really isn't a jukebox musical. You have that. There's the Michael Jackson musical that's opening next summer. Uh, I just think there's going to be a lot more. And there have been a lot of jukebox musicals. And most of them have lasted a couple of months and then just fizzled. Maybe we should tell people what a jukebox musical jukebox musical is. So a jukebox musical is, it can be one of two things, but it's, it's primarily the music of a certain artist. So... The two gold standards are Mamma Mia. So Mamma Mia was a uh, book musical. So the creative team took the music, the songs of ABBA and created a story around it. The other one is Jersey Boys. And they uh, took the story of how the four seasons got together and used their music. And both shows ran for years and years and years. So some of them can be books. Some of them can be just the music presented and maybe little vignettes um, over the last two seasons. Well, you have the Tina Turner musical. Uh, you had the share musical. You have the temptations musical, which is still on Broadway, but Broadway is littered with these jukebox musicals that have just fizzled. I mean, you had Mark, is it Margaritaville, the Jimmy Buffett musical that came on and closed in a nanosecond. So even though people, the audiences know the music, if it's not done well, it's it's not going to last. And especially, you know, you have to have you have to like the music. I mean, the share show was interesting. I like a lot of the share music. I, I didn't think it was enough to make it into a Broadway musical. Six months ago, I, I was in a regional production of Mamma Mia here. And um, as I was reading about Mamma Mia, I didn't realize that it was the most produced musical in the world. I'm like, going to agree with that because... I mentioned that I, I'm a, uh, a theater critic, so I, I do theater reviews for Connecticut, and then I also go and see shows in New York because I'm a member of the Outer Critics Circle. In Connecticut, I think last year I saw, this is in Connecticut, I saw three productions of Mamma Mia. I think they were pushing it on the, uh, on the website that licenses Mamma Mia because there were three or four or five of them here in the Bay Area. Well, 
But again, I think that goes to people like the ABBA songs. It's a, it's a fun book. I'm sure they wanted to see you in your spandex and 12 inch platform heels at the end of the show. <laughs> it was so much fun. I, I, I mean, it's so silly. It's such a silly show, but for some reason it's good. I don't know why. Yeah. And uh, I, 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 I love it. I mean, I, I'm a big ABBA fan and, and it, you know, it's a real breezy story. I mean, it is fun. Um, if it's done right. I mean, you know, you need, you need people that can carry it off. Um, and, and, and most theater companies can, can easily get that. I mean, you don't need great, great musical theater people, but you know, you, you got to do a good job. And when you do a good job, it is. Yeah. It, you know, it is a lot of fun. I will admit after I applaud, I do leave because I am not the stand in my seat and dance. And I don't dance in the aisles. So uh, I, you know, I, that's not for me. I head to the car. <laughs> I love that. Watching everybody doing the choreography out there. And it would just sell out every night. You know, it's like, this is incredible. People just love that music. Yeah. Love yeah. It. And, you know, looking at it from the, the theater's perspective, you know, they're pretty sure that they're going to make money. And, you know, that's the, I, I never would want to be an artistic director at let's say uh, you know a regional theater or community theater because you have to pick you know what are people going to come to I wanted to you know do I want to stretch the boundaries well if I do are they going to show up and you know a lot of tough decisions so yeah I could see how Mamma Mia would be produced a lot because it's almost fail safe right right it's one of those shows you put in your program during the year because you know you're going to make money on it. Right. And maybe it'll allow you to do something else that's riskier that might not draw the crowds. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I think that's the strength of a good regional theater is is having, you know, I mean, obviously it depends on the mission. But if you're looking to do more popular shows, how do you mix in the Mamma Mia's with something else that might be a little more challenging or might not be as familiar? So you have a good program and then. Hopefully at the end, you know, you've, you've made some money, you've been able to pay your bills. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's been great talking to you, Stuart. Thank you so much. Uh, is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners with before you go? Well, just to, again, the website is soundsofbroadway.com. So it's just as it sounds, Sounds of Broadway. And it is 24-7 Broadway music. And it is every playlist is put together by me. So... Uh, I, I try and craft the new, the old surprises. Um, tell your friends. I always say, like in between uh, the songs, sometimes I'll say, spread the word on your social media. And I really mean that because that is the best way. So if you have a Facebook account, Twitter, Instagram, or all these other things I have no clue about, you know, tell people soundsofbroadway.com. Tell their friends, not only in the States, but if they have people around the world. I, my, uh, one of my sister-in-laws is Israeli. I said, tell your friends in Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing is if you ever have questions or, you know, comments or suggestions, please, please email me. What I say on my broadcast, not only do I love reading your emails, but I respond to every email. And if you go to the website, soundsbroadway.com, there's a contact tab has my email, send me whatever. Even if it's like, 
I hate this or why are you doing this? I will respond to whatever you send. Great. And, and how often do you put up uh, your podcast? So every two weeks we'll do the podcast. Great. And there's a podcast tab, again, at soundsabroadway.com. It lists when the podcast will be up. I have all the previous episodes there with descriptions and playlists. So you can go through and, you know, I have one about um, uh, con artists and deception. So every song deals with, you know, famous con artists from Broadway musicals. And I have the playlist. So you can you can really search around to sort of just click without even subscribing to the podcast. Mm -hmm. So you just go to the Apple store for the iPhone app and the uh, Google store for the Android devices. And on the front page of our website, there is uh, links for all of those. And there's also a link for the Amazon Echo. So you can just click on those and they'll tell you what to do. So try to, I try to make it very easy and, and really the website soundsabroadway.com is kind of the, the central clearinghouse for all of that. Well, thank you so much, Stuart. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Well, thank you. This has been, been a lot of fun. Well, that was a uh, fun conversation with Stuart. We could have gone on for three hours since we both enjoy musical theater so much. I'm really glad that you uh, made it this far and uh, hopefully you enjoyed that. If you did, please tell your friends, go on to iTunes, give me a fair rating. If you hated the show, don't tell your friends. <laughs> I'm kidding. Do whatever you want. I, I just want everyone to take care of themselves. If you're indoors in a small space and you're feeling cooped up, just remember that uh, we are all in this together. We need to stay present in the moment. You can meditate. You can look outside and see the sky and the trees. Just look around and try to relax. Because all that exists really is the present moment. I know a lot of people say that on the internet and everything now and the YouTube. But it's true. It's true. We can build up all kinds of uh, fear and anxiety about what's going to happen or what has happened. or Are we, we going to be able to eat? Are we going to get money? How are we going to survive? And those are all just fears and thoughts. Now's the time to hug your loved ones, tell them you love them, take care of yourself, and uh, maybe slow down a little bit for a change. Okay, everyone, thanks so much for listening. If you would like to send me a message, my email is greenroomonair at gmail.com, or you can uh, leave a phone uh, voicemail at 650-318-1642 or a text, 650-318-1642 or greenroomonair at gmail.com. All right, everyone. Until next time, I will see you on the boards. And I think we'll close out with a little bit of music from my friend Carly Ozard. And I'll see you next time. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Imagine there's no heaven It's easy if you try
And I-